citizen, the training, chapter 22. When Bill Clinton was elected president, the nuclear industry was unsure what would happen. The first Gulf War was ending, and Babcock and Wilcox downsized with a series of layoffs. Tracy's job wasn't affected the first few rounds, and then Tracy called his father. "'Well, son,' Harry said, "'I've never seen the Lord work so fast in getting you this job. He might have another one for you. Either way, we should stand on Scripture.' So they did, along with Lynn. Whenever Tracy heard anyone say the word layoff, he quoted from Revelation 3.8 quietly to himself. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. After several weeks, there was to be one more round of layoffs. Friday morning, Alan, a co-worker, came by Tracy's office. He said Nate needed to see him. To review, Nate was the look-alike to the man voted sexiest alive, which Tracy met when he first saw the B&W logo at the hotel in Columbus. "'I'll be ready in a minute,' Tracy said, and he dialed Marilyn Hickey's prayer line from memory. Alan waited in the doorway to Tracy's robotics lab. He assumed Tracy was finishing up a test, which, in a way, he was. Tracy was standing on his word, but he wanted another faith-based person to agree as well. "'That's it exactly,' Tracy said. "'If this door is closing, another will open,' and we want the next door to be the one that he has for me. And Tracy listened. Right. So, if this is getting ready to end, I'm ready for the next to begin. Thank you so much, and I will keep you posted. And Tracy hung up the phone. You aren't concerned at all, are you? Alan asked, and Tracy looked at him. No other employee has ever acted like this. And I've been doing this for weeks on end. When they went down the hall, Alan stopped outside the entrance to Amy's office. Amy isn't taking this well at all, Alan said. But if all of this works out the way you just prayed, please pray for Amy. She's been taking these layoffs personally, especially yours. She pleaded with Dale and Nate not to let you go. Which was true, because when Tracy walked into Amy's outer office, she immediately broke into tears. I'm so sorry, Amy said. None of us could do anything. <laughs> and she began to sob. You are like my son. Nate came out of his office, and even his eyes were red. Then Tracy went in, and Nate announced news as obvious as it was old. But they were interrupted. Speed this up, he said. 
I have an important phone call for you as soon as you get home. Nate began with apologies and how giving references would be a pleasure. Then he talked about the logistic procedures for ending Tracy's job, but he was insistent. Speed this up, he said again, and he meant it. Nate, Tracy said, I hate to cut this short, and I am very appreciative, but the Lord is telling me to speed this up. Nate was stopped, but he was familiar with how Tracy came to Babcock and Wilcox in the first place. He's telling me I'll have a phone call when I get home, Tracy said. Oh, Nate said. Did you send out your resumes? Hmm, no, Tracy said, and it was clear he hadn't thought about it. But if we can wrap this up, I'll call before the end of the day and tell you what happened. Okay, Nate said, relieved. Amy overheard and was overjoyed. Well, go, Amy said after her final hug, and she was so excited. Tracy rushed home, put his briefcase down, took off his coat, and sat in his living room that looked across the skyline of Akron. After about ten minutes, and Tracy was thinking about what to make for lunch, the phone rang. Before he answered, Tracy got a pen and paper, sat down, and answered professionally. This is Mr. Staples speaking, Tracy said, and the gentleman on the other end was equally professional, even though he had called Tracy's home phone number that wasn't listed. Mr. Staples, I am a recruiter for Siemens Nuclear Power in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We have an opening in the robotics department. We wondered if、uh, you were interested in coming down for an interview. As a matter of fact, I am highly interested, Tracy replied. Very good. How soon are you available? I am available immediately, Tracy said. In fact, I went through a layoff less than an hour ago. Very good. Oh, I mean for us. Can I reach you at this number? Yes. Good. I will call with a confirmation by the end of the day. By then, I hope to have a plane ticket for you to come see us Monday. And Tracy hung up the phone, thanked God, and called Amy. I have an interview with Siemens, Tracy reported, and Amy screamed and laughed at the same time. As they continued, Tracy heard the commotion he started in the office. And then he was curious. Amy, did you send them my information? Tracy asked. No, Amy said. That hadn't crossed my mind, or I'd have done it. I think I will be going Monday morning, Tracy said. Oh, well, we have to do lunch, Amy decided. With everyone. Oh, I can't wait. They'll all be so relieved. It'll be a celebration. Well, Let's do it Wednesday. And Tracy laughed. <laughs> I should at least meet these folks. Oh, yeah, of course, Amy said. But who gets laid off and gets an interview the same day? Over the weekend, Tracy reviewed Lynn's trench coat warfare for interviewing. He checked his cuticles. He rehearsed taking off his coat, 
sitting forward in his chair, and got his notebook ready. On Monday there was a foot of snow on the ground when Tracy drove from Akron to the Cleveland airport. When he arrived in Chattanooga, he wore an overcoat, hat, scarf, and gloves over a snappy wool suit, polished shoes, and matching briefcase. When the team lead met Tracy at the airport, he was surprised. The people on the streets of Chattanooga wore shorts, sweatshirts, and sandals, and the team lead was in casual Friday attire, even though it was Monday. "'My name is Chip,' the team lead said. "'And you're not going to need any of that stuff down here,' referring to Tracy's layers of wool and formality. Tracy had back-to-back -back interviews that were done by noon, and the team took him to lunch. Because their boss was paying, the team members ordered steaks and cocktails. Tracy ordered a salad so he could answer questions as prescribed by Lynn, but he noticed the different atmosphere. Granted, it was close to seventy degrees in February, and everything about the area was lax, but Tracy sensed something else that made his spirit uneasy. Chattanooga had a dark vibe, like his future associates who willfully took advantage when ordering lunch. Then the team took Tracy back to the office before he was to fly back to Cleveland, and Chip took Tracy to an empty conference room. "'We're going to discuss your interviews before you have to leave,' Chip said. "'Do you need anything while you wait?' "'Ask for a Yellow Pages,' he said." "'How about a Yellow Pages?' Tracy asked. <laughs> "'A Yellow Pages?' Chip wondered. "'Do you know someone here?' "'No, sir,' Tracy said. "'It just seems things are moving fast, so I need to find an apartment quick.' Chip looked at Tracy and cocked his head like a dog that heard a strange noise. When he returned with a phone book, he smiled as he handed it to Tracy. "'You're like a breath of fresh air,' Chip said, and left to meet with the other managers. Chip returned a half-hour later and took Tracy to the airport. On the way, he pointed out Lookout Mountain, Missionary Ridge, and the many colleges in the area. At the airport, they shook hands. "'You'll be hearing from us in two weeks,' Chip said. But I'm pretty sure you already know, and he looked at Tracy. I don't know how you know, and he left it at that. Back in Akron, it seemed all of Babcock and Wilcox attended Tracy's farewell lunch. Amy organized everything, and co-workers arrived in two-hour shifts, which was more like a birthday party than a farewell lunch. As co-workers gave Tracy personalized gifts, he realized they needed the celebration more than he did. Tracy also recognized how God used him to touch the lives of those around him. Hello everyone, Tracy here. I hope you're enjoying my story. 
We'll let you know how to support this podcast later. But for now, the best thing you can do is follow us and share it with your friends and family. So if you like what you're hearing, please help us out by telling people about it. And thanks again. Two weeks later, Tracy received confirmation of his new job and starting salary. Then he was assigned a liaison, and she needed to contact the relocation team. When would you like to start? she asked, and by now it was the end of February. Tracy answered the 1st of April, which surprised her. Tracy wasn't thrilled about where God was sending him. He wasn't sure what it was, but Tracy detected a false veneer over something hidden. Something had also changed, or a page had been turned. When Tracy went to NC State, the magnolias were his marker. He remembered them from the picture book, and knew he was in the right place at the right time. Tracy also realized God had redirected him after leaving NC State for West Virginia, which wasn't God's plan. Now he wanted Tracy to go south, and it seemed Chattanooga was where he had flipped through the pages faster. Tracy got the feeling the upcoming scenes of his picture book were heavy with grief. He looked for other jobs, but every door was shut. As April loomed, Tracy tried to strike a bargain. Before he got into bed, Tracy got on his knees and wanted something settled. Okay, Tracy prayed. If I have to go, show me how Mom died. And he went to sleep. At 1 a.m., Tracy was wakened in the spirit. He stood in the hallway of a hospital. Everything shined white, the walls, the floor, and ceiling. There was a single door in the middle of the hall on the left. The tall, shiny silver figure stood by the entrance, but he didn't speak. Tracy knew it was the room where Vera had died. Then the tall, shiny silver figure pointed into the room like the ghost of Christmas yet to come, except he was the exact opposite of death and darkness. When Tracy walked toward him, the tall, shiny silver figure disappeared. When Tracy looked into the hospital room, he stood at the foot of a gurney. He held his hand out, palm up, and presented the form of a body under a white sheet. Once Tracy crossed the threshold, the tall, shiny silver figure stood on the opposite side of Vera's gurney, which caused Tracy to seethe with anger as the sting of his mother's death welled up inside him. This is not what I asked you to show me, Tracy cried. I wanted to see the events that led up to how she died, because I missed them. Tracy wanted a reason, a cause. His flesh wanted something or someone to blame, but there was no room for that where he was. The tall, shiny silver figure only allowed the emotion without pain, and, as Tracy's anguish flowed out, it was absorbed by the whiteness that surrounded them. You are showing me the wrong thing, Tracy shouted. 
but the tall shiny silver figure only raised his arm and pointed behind Tracy at the door he had just passed through. When Tracy turned around, Vera passed by in a gown as pure white as everything else. She looked forward and walked with a steady gait. Without stopping, she turned her head and looked at her son. Then she motioned for Tracy to follow as she passed by the doorway. Tracy looked at his host. What am I supposed to do? Tracy asked hoarsely, and the tall, shiny silver figure gestured for Tracy to follow her. You're not saying anything, which is very upsetting. Instantly, Tracy was made to understand the teacher cannot talk during the test. But I'm about tired of all these games, Tracy said, when I know you can make it plain and simple. Tracy was frustrated. He didn't want to listen to the promptings of the tall, shiny silver figure. Tracy had said games, but really meant his mother's death and the anger he harbored. To the contrary, the tall, shiny silver figure was pulling the irritation from him. Tracy wouldn't have to carry it any further once he left the room, and Tracy looked at his old friend. He still held up his arm, and gestured with a nod for Tracy to follow his mother down the hall. Tracy relented. As he approached the door, Tracy heard a party going on. Tracy crossed the threshold into a long, brilliant corridor with a single door at the end, which Vera went through. A group of imps hung around outside the door, and they made a tremendous racket. They were dressed in black leather, had boom-boxes on their shoulders, and played their music very loud. They yelled to Tracy and danced around each other. They invited Tracy to join their noise, and their dancing and taunting was a welcome distraction from Tracy's grief and frustration. "'Come on!' the imps cajoled. "'Let's party. You don't want to follow him. You can come with us. Come on, Tracy.' and the imps went through the doorway. Tracy looked back at the tall, shiny silver figure for guidance, who still gestured to go through the door his mother went through. So Tracy went down the hall, and the door opened to a landing. To Tracy's left was a floating staircase, which ascended sharply to another landing with a door on the left. At the top, Vera stood motionless, facing her door. To Tracy's right, the stairs descended steeply to a landing with a door to the right. The imps were at the bottom with their clamor, enticing Tracy to join them. As Tracy stood, the door behind him disappeared. Then Tracy was alone on the landing between the two staircases, floating between glory and perdition. Tracy looked up at his mother in her white gown, who stood in front of her threshold and waited. The cacophony that came from the lowest landing was strikingly out of place. Then the imps ramped up their game to take Tracy's attention, but that was not his destiny or what lived inside him. As soon as Tracy took a step toward Vera, the noise ceased. The imps cowered as they looked toward Tracy, and they shook with terror in their eyes. When Tracy looked behind him, 
The tall, shiny silver figure stood taller and larger than Tracy had ever seen him. His hands were crossed in front of his chest in absolute authority, and the command of his presence vaporized the imps. Their clamor was immediately replaced with peace, quiet, and a complete lack of confusion. As Tracy marveled at the change, the tall, shiny silver figure pointed upward to Vera's landing. Tracy turned and looked. His mother's door opened from the other side to become a frame of light. Vera looked down at her son, just as she had when she passed Tracy in the hallway, expressionless but whole. Then she looked forward and tilted her head at a forty-five-degree angle toward the heavens. When Vera did, a roll of white clouds descended at the same angle. Billows that moved like a fog of thick honey shimmered in the light behind the doorway and cascaded from the top of the doorframe. A pair of hands came through the cloud and cradled Vera's head, the way a parent would hold an infant's face with love. Then Vera was taken up quickly. Tracy gasped and turned back to the tall, shiny silver figure. His old friend nodded to indicate that it was done, and Tracy woke up. Tracy's vision was so healing he called his dad, and, even though it was two o'clock in the morning, Harry was fascinated. They spoke for a while, which was enough for Tracy to calm down, and from that point on Tracy had peace with his mother's death. But even though Tracy made the bargain, he still didn't want to go to Chattanooga. By the last week of March, he broke his silence, and the tall, shiny silver figure was his jovial self again, not the austere, silent, Dickensian personage of the last vision. "'Do I need to send a whale to Akron to get you to Chattanooga?' he asked. He referred to when he sent the whale to redirect Jonah when Jonah tried to go to Joppa instead of Nineveh. This made Tracy have a flashback of the submarine in Norfolk, and he wondered if the man-made whale was a portent or a joke. Tracy felt him smile at that thought, but he was also serious, because childish things had to be put away for what was to come. Okay, Tracy answered. Because I don't want to see a whale on dry land. I can't even deal with jaws let alone being in the belly of a whale. Then Tracy was reminded what Jesus had to do after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately the Spirit of the Lord drove him into the wilderness. But, Lord, Tracy said, I'm scared. Fine, go scared, he said. But this is what I want you to do. So Tracy knew he had to go through this. Somehow, Tracy also knew it would be over once he returned to Ohio. He just wasn't sure how long that would take, or worse, what he would have to face. Go scared, he said again with assurance. But go. All right, Tracy said. But I'm going to snot and cry the whole way. Later that week... Four men and a large Amazonian woman arrived at Tracy's apartment. 
Tracy wasn't allowed to touch a thing, and they had his things packed within the hour. Tracy drove the rental car Siemens provided, but rather than follow the moving van, he went to West Virginia to check in with Granny and Moody. To his surprise, as soon as Tracy crossed the state line, the dread fell off. Like going through an invisible force field, once Tracy was out of Ohio, he was jolted into happiness. He had made his first step, but Granny wasn't convinced. "'Are you sure about going down there?' Granny asked. "'I have to,' Tracy said. "'But I was going kicking and screaming.' "'When did you get okay with it?' Moody asked. "'Because I'm not,' Granny added. "'Not to that part of the South.' "'I wasn't excited,' Tracy agreed. "'But as soon as I drove over the border from Ohio, my joy came back. I looked inside for all the fear I had, but I couldn't find it. I also knew if I did a U-turn, I'd find it within 20 feet. But Granny still wasn't there. And there was something else. Tracy told Granny and Moody about the conversation about the whale. Then he described the vision he had of the hospital and his mom. Granny and Moody were surprised, but reassured to hear about Vera's ascension. Then, overnight, Granny and Moody had their own epiphany about Tracy's vision and Vera's role in it. By the next day, they all knew it would be okay. Then Tracy left for his wilderness, which for him was Chattanooga, Tennessee. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you would like to purchase the book, Dual Citizen, it is available on Amazon. Be sure to search for Dual Citizen, The Connection. All three books, The Connection, The Training, and The Arrival, are available in print as well as on Kindle. Dual Citizen, The Connection, is also available on Audible. So... If you would like to skip ahead and see how everything turns out, feel free. But don't tell your friends the ending. Thanks again, and we hope everyone will find their place at the table.